0: Another Blue Sky Day, and the radio was chock-a-block with stories. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran, and here's what you might have missed.
1: And with all due respect, Ronan Marie Keating is as big a name as boys owner Ronan Keating. <laughs> well, that makes us feel very proud, definitely. As a I wonder million. what she would have made yeah. of that. It must make you proud, as you say.
2: Well, Yeah, I know what she would have said. She would have said, I'll stop that, will you? For God's sake, will you stop doing that now?
3: <laughs> I feel that I've been a big inspiration, too, of her kids with autism, and- I've showed them that don't give up on their dreams. Only they can create their own story and they should go the distance.
4: What you need to know about the the, the skincare? Yeah. Soap and water. That's what you use. That's it. End of.
1: You're looking very well on it. Thank you
4: very much. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: and what about yourself? Exactly the same. <laughs>
0: And we'll start on today with Claire Byrne. It's 25 years since the start of breast cancer charity the Marie Keating Foundation was set up by boyzone singer Ronan Keating and his siblings in remembrance of their mother so people will be running and walking in support of the charity this year. John Cook was reporting in the morning.
1: It's a really positive event too, Claire. 100k in 30 days was first launched in 2020 by a county Louth couple, Niall Carroll and Cara McAdam, after Cara was diagnosed with breast cancer. And this community-led event they started has raised over €4.2 million Euro for breast cancer. This year they've teamed up with the Marie Keating Foundation with funds raised going towards their prevention, support and Survive and Thrive services, now marking a quarter of a century in existence, as it was 25 years ago, as you said, that 51-year-old Marie Keating lost her battle to breast cancer, much to the devastation of her family, especially her five children, who told me their vision at the time was just to do something positive to help other people in her memory. So they're overwhelmed to see how the service has grown, to help thousands of people and become a household name in Ireland in terms of cancer awareness, prevention and treatment. I chatted with Marie's son Ronan this week, along with sister Linda, as they remembered their mum and told me about their own plans to run or walk 100 kilometres in 30 days. For Ronan, he said his feelings are bittersweet when he thinks of the legacy left by his mother's untimely death.
2: It's very hard when you've got children and you know she didn't get to meet them and, and that it's heartbreaking to watch them grow like Jack my eldest now is 24 years of age so you see I see him as this you know grown man and and yes he has no memory of her because he never got to meet her unfortunately it's heartbreaking and the little ones as well you know Cooper and Coco they're 6 and 3 you can probably hear them in the background they have a, a, absolutely no idea no concept of who she was other than the stories that we tell her so look it's wonderful that you know family we can keep her memory alive through the foundation
1: and with all due respect Ronan Marie Keating is as big a name as boys owner Ronan Keating you know? <laughs> well that makes us feel very proud definitely As a I family. wonder what she would have made yeah. of that it must make you proud as you say
2: Well, yeah I know what she would have said she would have said I'll stop that will you for god's sake will you stop <laughs> doing that now <laughs> it's grand would just you stop you're working too hard would you could just stop it there take it
1: easy <laughs> Linda, yeah. when when Ronan said there, your mam would sort of be maybe bashful, or would you go way out of that? She she was a, a typical Irish mam in that she was focusing on her children. You said, and I was yes. struck by what she said to me about how maybe she didn't take time to concentrate on her own health, or maybe what well, what was afraid to.
5: Yeah, uh, mum came from, I guess, a a generation of ignore it and it'll go away. And once my children are all right, then I'm all right. You know, I mean, Mm. I never left the room before dad came in uh, the hospital room and uh, I had left. She sent me off to get slippers and, and she died before dad got in or I got in. And the nurse said that her dying words were, Have I told you about my five wonderful children, you know? So, you know, that's how she died. She had pride in all of her children.
1: Ronan, as you said, life gets busy and and, and life goes on. But I'm sure for both of you and for anyone who's lost someone to cancer, there are moments in every week and every day where you think of that person you've lost. This is a nice way to remember your mom
2: yeah it is every every kilometer that you you know that you clock up you're doing it for them in their memory that is a lovely thing to be able to do and makes you push through when the hips hurt and the knees hurt and the feet hurt 25 years later doing this interview with you now it brings up memories and it, it hurts it hurts that she's not here my kids are running around the kitchen here i would love nothing more i would give everything around me for my mom to be around and see the kids you know and and, and have time with them so it's it's horrible it's awful but we continue
1: to do what we're doing, and and we're very proud. And running and, this and way, go ahead, Linda. I was just going to say it. It means someone else's mom, I suppose, might be around.
5: And that's exactly what I was going to say, John. You know, survival rates. breast cancer have increased over the years and you know we'd like to think and and we know we have played a part in that um so that somebody else like you said john doesn't doesn't lose their mother you know or their their friend or their their sister or you know anyone to breast cancer now please god i would hope so
0: ronan and linda keating there and john also spoke to breast cancer patient karen dowling
1: I met with 36-year-old Karen Dowling this week. She's a psychotherapist from Limerick and has just moved into a new home that she's built with her husband of two years, Declan. Now, Karen told me she had cervical cancer at the young age of 23, leading to a hysterectomy. And despite the trauma of such major surgery so young, she enjoyed a happy and healthy life for the past 12 years until things changed, she explained, about seven months ago.
6: So last October I was doing um, my regular breast check as I I always did and I found a lump and as most people out there would kind of know themselves, you don't really know, is a lump a lump? Um, So I went to my GP and she referred me to the breast clinic then in Limerick. They did ultrasound mammogram and biopsy. And I was called back then, I think it was three weeks later, and I found, it was about a month later, and I was told that I had breast cancer. So I have triple negative breast cancer. Mm-hmm.
1: How have you been coping with that? Because you've been straight away, you've been going through chemotherapy. You're going today just after we speak. Indeed, how's it been?
6: You know what? In the beginning, it was a lot tougher than it is now. Um, So I started only a month after my diagnosis. So that was in January and I'm still kind of getting it and I'm getting it weekly now the last 10 weeks. So it's tough. It's taken over my life, but thankfully it's working. So that's kind of what's keeping me going. You've had more news though since... Yes, last Friday I got the news that I also now have the, well I already had it, the BRCA1 gene. So I suppose I kind of know now what is coming down the line with regards to preventative surgeries and stuff like that.
1: So it's made you make a decision. Now you, your chemotherapy is working but you have bigger decisions made about future treatment.
6: Absolutely. Um, Surgery was always on the cards. Um, Even if the chemo works, they remove the tissue where the cancer was. And so we were kind of looking at a lumpectomy. But now after getting these results, the decision is mine. And obviously I'll work with the surgeon and stuff as well. But I will or I am taking that um, opportunity for a double mastectomy and have my ovaries removed as well.
1: Because of this BRCA gene, you've made this decision just this week.
6: Yeah, I made it on. I made it before I even got the results, to be honest. But on Friday, that was it. I spoke to my husband and I said, yeah, that's it. I'm having the surgery and he's fully supportive. Yeah.
4: God, that's a huge call for Karen to make. And just this week, John, but she sounds really positive about it.
1: Oh, so positive, Claire. For someone who's faced two unrelated cancers, as she's been told by the medics at such a young age, I thought... Karen was so impressive she's learned a lot about her health and cancer through online resources she said and through the examples of role models like celebrities she could identify with who've been through similar diseases for instance she told me she looked up the signs of cervical cancer and first sought medical help at the age of 23 following the story of Jade Goody the Big Brother reality TV star who died from the disease and she was also aware of the BRCA gene and its higher risk for breast and ovarian cancer through the example of film star. Angelina Jolie who's had preventative surgeries after a positive bracket test but I put it to Karen that she's a pretty positive role model herself for other women considering how calm and proactive she is and she laughed when I asked her if it's something she's told often.
6: (laughs) All the time. I don't feel like I am but people do tell me that all the time and my attitude to that is I think if I could wallow, I could be at home all day, I am at home all day but I could be at home all day crying, I could be really negative and bitter about things But there's a lot of positive going on. The doctors are positive really, really positive about this. It was caught early. So I suppose my opinion now is try and spread the word, share my story, and hopefully it would help other people. Something that really helped me actually when I was diagnosed was social media, and it's funny because it can be such a negative place sometimes. Um but there is a lot of positive stories Mm -hmm. out there and positive people to follow if you just search hashtags and stuff like that. So I'm kind of hoping that I'll be a positive influence for other people now, too.
1: I think you are. And even in this and all your treatment right now, you decided you might walk a hundred kilometers in 30 days as well because you've been getting information and support from the Marie Keating Foundation
6: when you put it like that it sounds really funny (laughs) but um, yeah so like as soon as I got the diagnosis and when I was looking at kind of what the BRCA gene meant for me that was one of the first resources I I actually used online and um, then I saw on social media again that this wonderful cause was happening in June and I said I'd become an ambassador so now an ambassador with them and raising lots of funds for all people who are affected by breast cancer so i'm just delighted to be able to take part and help in any way i can
1: it's probably your young experience that has made you realize that time is crucial here you have to act fast
6: Absolutely. And, you know, even amongst my friends, I noticed it even with my, my first cancer diagnosis, you know, a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, smear test, God, they're awful, you know, but then they're like, oh, geez, look what happened, Karen, and, you know, we need to go and get checked. And I kind of really want to help promote that message as well about early detection is key, like do your regular breast checks, you know, it's it's really, really easy if you're worried Pop into your GP, your local nurse, um, just get it checked out. And, you know, early detection is key. and, And thankfully, mine was found early. So things are looking very, very positive as well.
0: Wow, the inspirational Karen Dowling speaking to John Cook from Today with Claire Byrne. And on the live line in the afternoon, retained firefighters and the challenges of the job. Brian Murray, Jr., his own father, Brian Sr., a retained firefighter who lost his life responding to an accident, called Joe about his concerns.
7: I've heard them describe recently as volunteer firefighters. They are not volunteer firefighters. They are highly trained uh, firefighters, and they're called retained firefighters, and that means, well, let's ask them. They've contacted us. What does it mean? Brian Murray. Brian, good afternoon.
8: Good afternoon, Joe. How are you?
7: Are you a retained firefighter?
8: I am, I'm a retained firefighter now for 15 years, just over 15 years in Bray.
7: And what does that mean?
8: Uh, that means basically I'm a firefighter. The only difference between ourselves and like uh, a full-time station would be we carry a pager. Yeah. So our day-to-day life revolves around the pager and having to stay within the two and a half kilometer radius of the fire station.
7: But, but the most retained firefighters have day jobs.
8: Um some do. Uh depends on the part of the country you live in. In Bray a lot of the lads in our station don't because we're so busy. So employers around the town tend not to sort of, you know, employ us because we could be in and out quite a bit and disrupt their day as well, you know.
7: And does it does it not doesn't apply in your case, but does does an employer have to allow if you're a retained firefighter and uh, your pager goes off for a road traffic accident or a fire or uh, a tragedy because <laughs> you, suicides or whatever, God God forbid. Yep. Um, does does your employer have to let you go?
8: No, they don't. So oh, um, the, when you initially apply for the service, you, you fill out your application, obviously, and you have to get your employer at the time of you applying for the fire service to allow you leave. So they they yeah. allow. Uh, a section on the phone. Um, now, the, the county council themselves, um, they tend not to hire you, but expect other um, businesses around the place to hire you. So
7: So the county council who run the fire service mm-hmm. don't, don't generally hire people who are in the retained fire service because they might have to go off and answer a fire call. That's correct, Joe, yeah. Now, Brian, the other thing as well is your father, as we know, was uh, Brian Murray, and Marco Shocknessy were two retained firefighters in Bray, where you are, and uh, they was no, it was a Wicklow town. Am I wrong? I think it's Wicklow town. Oh, Sorry, Bray, apologies. Bray. Yeah, Bray. Okay, um, Bray, yeah. but your father and Mark were killed in 2007 uh, at fight, fighting a fire. So, w- what propelled you to join, Brian? Were you not put off, so to speak? Uh, no, nah, not a all Joe No, that was never going to deter me. I mean,
8: it's something that I was always going to do. So that's it. That that was never
7: going to put me off joining the talk. But your father was a young man, Marco. He Shok- was, yeah. Marco he was even younger, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And how did people get in? So far as you can, how do people get over that awful tragedy?
8: I you mean? You you just you know, learn to get on with it, Joe You know, it is what it is. Like um. It happened and the the priority here is to make the service better for everybody around the country, um, you know, firefighters and people in members of the public so that tragedies like that are avoidable.
0: So Joe asked Brian about his payment. So
8: Brian, how out. how are you paid then? We're paid a retainer, so if you join the forest service um today and you start the only money you're guaranteed is it's in around eight and a half thousand a year job.
9: Okay. That's
8: what you're guaranteed and then you're paid per call
9: out. Okay. So if you're
8: in a quiet station, say for instance, yeah. um where Jer is based there in Carnew or whatever or any small town, they're confined to that small area waiting for a call that they might not get. Yeah.
0: But
8: they're only getting a retainer for the for their call, you know. So that's that's how it works. It's as simple as that. And
7: but is, it's, not it, is, it's not walkable for people, you know. But is that not the only way you can walk, Brian? Like
8: Absolutely not. So, I mean, I don't buy that for one minute. And I'm sorry, okay. you there, but, but Do you? Um, we should be paid a wage the way anyone else is. For the time we put in the sacrifices our lads make, I mean, we can't go to Tesco's without uh, planning it's like a military operation.
7: Explain that to listeners and explain about going to the beach that you can Well, I mean,
8: you, like yesterday, for instance, there was a bank holiday weekend. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um we'd lads there that, that couldn't go down near Bray Seafront because the traffic's too bad on it to get the kids an ice cream. Do you know what I mean? Because they will not they will not be able to turn out to a fire call from there. We're tightly wound twenty four seven. There's so, no
7: downtime or time off. So your point is if if I was on call at the weekend yeah, um and I'm I'm rostered on call and that's the the cover there the the payment there is the eight and a half thousand per annum, which is not much to say the least. Um, you're, you're on call but it means what is it you have to be within 2.5k of the station <laughs> and is there a time frame on that Brian?
8: Yeah it's about, well, obviously if it's an emergency you want yeah. to be there as quick as yeah, possible so when the pager goes off the call starts there for us um, it, it's in and around it's hoped that you'd be there within 10 minutes and okay. um, I think that's the acceptable average
7: um, okay. so around the
8: country I'm not sure now though. No. don't
7: yeah, so, so, so your point is, if I had gone down to the beach in Bray yesterday, I not, yeah. not, I not only had to think about the 2.5k, which you probably are just about, but I actually had to think of how would I get from A to the, to the Correct, fire yeah. station within 10 minutes?
8: Yeah, everything you do is based around how you're going to get to the station. So if you have to go down the Main Street in Bray, which can be quite congested, um, you have to sort of pre-plan where you're going to park um, if you're down there with your partner and your kids, and you know yourself, sometimes you want to go to different shops or yeah, different yeah,
7: areas. Yeah, You
8: have to be in constant mobile phone contact, so that um, so that if a call comes in, that you can let
7: them know that we need to go now.
0: Well, that's Brian there. Then Jared Blackburn, a retained firefighter in Carnew, Wexford, called Joe.
7: What what type of calls do you get in Carnew? Do you get? I know you're near a very busy motorway, so do you get car car accidents?
10: We actually we we don't get any calls on the motorway. That'd be more Gory okay. and Airclo. We're we're further up in the mountains.
7: Okay, and um, Gory go have a special appliance, haven't they, for for Yeah, well, acts. they have it. Yeah.
10: Same as Arklow, they have the, the tender. But um, we would be more. Um, we're a very quiet station, so okay. we're basically fifty or sixty calls a year. Okay. So, um, like the last bank holiday weekend, as Brian was saying, there dads couldn't go anywhere, but. We didn't get any calls. We got one last night but we were sitting at home Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
7: Okay, because we you were, in, on, you were on call, yeah.
10: Because we're we're on call twenty four seven. Um and it's just like like I'm only I'm only in it two years, you know, and I I half knew coming into it that it was restrictive, but even then it it just doesn't you just can't grasp how restrictive it actually is. Um like Brian said we can't go shopping to Tesco. It's like, the nearest supermarket mm-hmm. to Carnieu is, is Gloria, which is 20 minutes away. You can't do it. You know? You just can't. Like, there's... like I'm not running Carnieu down, but it's a, it's a village. So, you know, there's... Mm-hmm. there's a, a, I think there's two coffee shops and two shops in it. Um, There's not a whole lot to do in the town. So, you know, you're kind of at nothing most of the time.
7: But no yeah, point you- in the town. Jerry, you're not worried that one, one result of your action is that they'll close Carnew? That when you say we only get 50, one, one call a week, well, they say, well, we'll close Carnew. The roads are getting better. The machines are getting faster. Communication is getting more efficient. And instead of having the station in Carnew, we we'll let we cover Carnew at a gory. Do you follow me?
10: Well, you see, that's, that, I do, yeah. That's, that's a possibility. We are to the Healy beside us there, 10, 15 minutes down the road. But it'll take Gory. by the time Gory mobilise and get to, a, a, say, a house fire in Cairneau, they'd be 40 minutes. Should the house be gone? Yeah. Like, there'd be nothing left. You'd, there'd be no, no life savable at that stage, you know?
7: And so, remo- I mean, r- remind they, people as well, that because it struck me recently, um, that firefighters um, have to clean up this, the road afterwards, don't they? It's your, that's your yeah. job. It's, not the, yeah, count, it is, it's yeah. not the council's job.
10: No, no, so... And this is the one of the the arguments, the points that we have about pay to pay scale. So if we get a call at six o'clock on on a on a weekday, okay. and it's so say it's the lads, Gory or Arcler, whoever's on the motorway, and it's um, it, it's a fatality or it's it, it's there's there's human body parts yeah, to be gathered. Same. the Council workers will be there watching us do it or watching the lads do it, and they'd be on twice the money the firefighters are on.
7: And what time does their overtime start at? Half hour. What time does your overtime start at? Ten o'clock at night. And have you been walking up and down the side up and down the side of a motorway picking up body parts?
10: Me personally no, because we don't cover the motorway, but I yeah. know other lads
0: that have done the Oh, Okay. And then Keane is a retained firefighter in Cavan.
11: Yeah, well it's it's that way across the country. It, it's yeah. in contract with every county council, two and a half kilometres, live more. work with a response time of five to ten minutes. It's what the contracts are provided by the local authorities to every firefighter in Ireland.
7: And how long have you been a retained firefighter? So
11: I'm coming up on seven years this summer now, I'll be in as a retained firefighter. Um, I joined it. They asked me 22nd birthday,
7: and I've been doing it since. And how busy are you? How busy is your so, station?
11: Cavan Town will be one of the busier stations in the county, because um, yeah. we'd be headquarters. So we do roughly about 150 calls a year. Okay. Um, so you might go a stage during the summer, say the month of July, you might do two, three weeks, you might have any call, or if you take the bank call the weekend there, for example, those six calls within from Saturday morning until wow. midnight last night.
7: Um, generally, what were they? You don't give us the detail, but were they fires or accidents or swimming? Accidents. or Accidents. Yeah.
11: All 90% of them were accidents, like,
7: and it's the type of thing you have to deal with
11: and go home and put a smile on your face and keep going.
7: Because accidents generally aren't nice... To to see where, where there's people involved, obviously in injuries and sometimes horrific injuries as well in the world that we the, the world that we live in, um, and uh, keen uh, the, the I, I know you can't talk about individual uh, say individual cases, but you do paramedic stuff as well, don't you? Retain firefighters.
11: Well, we do. So, majority of retained firefighters like are under trained up to EFRs, which should be emergency first responders, which should allow us a little bit of advanced life-saving skills, say, eh, with airways and that type of thing. So, obviously, of say eh, with the the crisis in the national ambulance service as well, we've been picking a lot of slack up. Especially if you take a county like Cavan, fair enough, we have the general hospital in Cavan Town, but if you go to any of our outlying stations,
6: mm-hmm. ambulance
11: response time can be quite high. So, like accidents were attending ourselves from Cavan Town, the ambulance might be 20 minutes, half an hour away by the time we arrive on scene. So it's up to firefighters on the scene to deal with the emergencies then. So that let that be an accident, um, an attempted suicide, a cardiac arrest, choke and you name if we have to deal with it, it's in our remit we have to do it. Yeah. And Brian um, and it's not, yeah. not sorry for everyone like yeah, yeah, it's not for everyone like there's some lads yeah. join the service and a lot of people out there hear firefighters and they think automatically they put fires out as you hear there we do a lot more than just
7: I know there.
0: that I know that that's keen on the live line with Joe Duffy and on today with Claire Byrne journalist Cathy Donaghy was helping us to take a moment to listen to the soothing sounds of birds.
4: The birds, Kathy, and many will have heard on Derek Mooney's excellent dawn chorus program last month. It's a perfect time of year to get
12: to know the birds that surround us every
4: day, and in this beautiful weather as well. I
12: think that's it, Claire. And you know, they're they're out there doing their thing, and they are magic. I, I think of them as sort of miracles with feathers. Um, they come into our gardens, and you know, it's really only when we stop and pay attention that we can see what's going on or hear what's going on. And and I always think, you know, I'm no expert, um, but I am a passionate observer. And I've been learning in the last few years. And I think lockdown triggered that sense of, you know, wanting to know more for a lot of people about what's going on. And the dawn chorus is the perfect example. And they're up early. You know, the, the first sort of um, streams of light sort of trigger something in their brains. And they start to sing, which is really about marking territory. And in the early spring, it's about finding a mate and sort of saying, here I am. I'm fit and ready and in full throttle. Um, you know, so that's that's sort of what what the, what the that dawn chorus is all so about. So do you get up to hear that at five? 5 a.m. Sometimes I, I get up early. I'm not an early riser all the time, but sometimes I do. But the birds are so noisy at this time of year that honestly, if you leave your window open at night and I live in the country in Donegal so, and I live near a woods. um, So if I leave my window open at all, um, the, the noise, no choice. Yeah, you, you, you actually, they will wake you. They are so noisy at well, this time of year. Well, for those who aren't early risers, mm. they can also witness this in the evening because
4: you've got the dusk chorus as well, which gets less attention.
12: Yeah, I actually think that the dusk chorus is probably my favourite time of the day. Um, it's, it's really just that time when the light is fading and if you go outside and things are sort of calming down for the evening. The dusk course, that's when the birds just, they just give it one last blast and and, and you know, they sing their hearts out at that time of night and you'll you'll hear all kinds of birds vying for attention. And really, I've learned that what it is is, again, it's marking territory. It's them saying, I'm bedding down for the night. I'm here. I'm fine. I'm in full fettle. This is my space. It's not vacant. Don't take it. And I'll see you in the morning.
4: <laughs> now, you, you said there that you hear all kinds of birds and for beginners, the uninitiated, it can be hard to distinguish or find out more about what you're hearing. Now, where do we go to learn if we're beginners?
12: Yeah, and I'm, I, I class myself as a beginner too, Claire. although I, you know, I'm just paying attention. I think the best way to get started, there's a really good app called BirdNet, that you know you can just if you hear a bird noise, um, you know you can just tap your phone and and hold it up there. But birds are <laughs> it's when you when you want them to sing they don't sing. So sometimes it's just YouTube is really good. If you hear a sound and then you go to YouTube and you play those sounds back, you can and you do it quite quickly. Then you can you can hear what that bird was. Mm-hmm. I'm really old-fashioned about the birds in terms of identifying them. I brought today um, uh, Irish birds David Cabot's book with me. Um, it's a really good beginner's bird book. It it you know it tells you what, what the bird is, it categorises them into where they live and just enough information, bite-sized information, I would say it's really, really helpful if you're getting started, I think. And when you go to the effort of actually looking at a book for your information, it sort of registers in the brain in a different way than goes just getting in. it online. It goes in and it stays so in, I you, think. So
4: you keep that book, the Irish birds book, mm. handy in the house?
12: I have it on the windowsill where there are, I have a bird feeder just outside the window and um, it is a sea of goldfinches and um and, and lots of birds come into the garden. So if I see something I also um live near near water and there's lots of seabirds um, that are near my house so I will take the book with me and see you know, what, what I can spot when I'm out for a walk.
4: Yeah, I, My mother does this and mm. she feeds the birds in, in mm-hmm. different times of the year when they might be struggling mm-hmm. for food and she tells me about the little arguments that she sees going on yeah. fighting over food and it's a very loud
12: discussion that they're having. Mm. I think that's really amazing. I have uh, three jackdaws in the garden and they're there every day. I don't know what is going on but they sort of, they, they walk wander around the lawn and they hop on the fence and they fall in and they fall out and they're, they're, their behaviour is almost human like to watch them and, and they, they, they seem oblivious to everything else except their row so they fall in and fall out and then they come back together and they toddle around a bit more they're actually really comical And do you think that's a, a food conversation going on or could it doesn't be It doesn't seem to be food something I else. I, It seems to be I, I actually don't know what's, what's going on with them they seem to be um, it's, it, as I say it's almost human I, I, there's an argument of some sort going on I think there's a partner in the middle and there may be two, there may be two male suitors there. I think that's behind it. Lots of Irish people will
4: be familiar with swallows and mm. they're amazing, aren't they? The way mm. they come back every summer.
12: Yeah, I think these are one of my favourite birds. These are the top guns, I suppose, of the bird world. Um, they're just, if, you, if you'll if you know a swallow by, you know, its flight. It also has a forked tail, slightly bigger than than a marten. Um, and they also, they'll nest in the eaves of of of, or they'll nest inside in a barn or in a shed that's left open. So they never nest in the eaves like the the house martin will. So that's how you'll know a swallow. They are slightly bigger as well, and their flight is incredible. At this time of the year, they're really active. They're um, they're flying at night, gathering you know insects and flies. They're swooping over rivers. Um, they're just incredible to watch. Mm. And when you think about their migration, Claire, you know. 10,000 kilometres across the Sahara Desert, which is getting wider every year. A lot of them don't make it. You know, their lives are quite precarious in terms of their flight. And just to be with us is just a feat of uh, endurance. Mm-hmm. Kathy
0: Donaghy, author and journalist, from today with Claire Barn. And in the morning, the women behind First Dates Ireland, Carla Zambrera and Claire Ridge, were chatting to Ryan Tuberty, who is a big fan of the show.
13: Welcome to you both, and thanks for being bye, here. Bye. Uh, Thank you. It's great to see. I've often referred to the program because I'm a big fan of First Dates Ireland, and you put it together so well. And I was horrified in some ways when I heard this morning that there was not only a lack of men, but a lack of, of, of older men. And I said, when, when you say older men, are we talking like 80s, 90s? <laughs> I said, no, men over 30, at which point I said, cancel the item, I'll play some music.
14: <laughs> I know, it's a shocker. What's happening,
13: Clare? Because this well, is your... Well, your you'd you'd look like after the old ones.
14: of amazing daters, obviously, Ryan, and that's what makes the show. And like we understand for people to come on the show, it's a big leap of faith. There's a lot of kind of trust that we have to build with the people. It's, you know, they're they're often coming from relationships that haven't worked out. They're on their second, third time around. You know, it takes a lot. It's a brave step for them. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like we've loads of fabulous women and we still, we want more fabulous women. Um, But I think men over 30 just seem to be a little less...
13: For enthusiastic about
14: yeah. replying for the show. Have
13: you ever done any uh, research or have you ever come up with any ideas as to why men are so slow to, to get to the front door of this?
15: I don't know. I, I know we can see in the applications that, kind of, once it comes to 33, <laughs> that seems to be it the stops. magic number. It's bi- they kind, it's to, they kind of dry up. It is yeah. biblical. It's biblical. <laughs>
3: they're worried
14: they're going to be crucified.
6: You
15: know what I think, <laughs> Ryan? I think
14: that they're not as encouraged by their pals, their family. Women are like much more, they would probably talk to their friends more, their family about their like being single and wanting to meet someone. And I don't think men maybe do that in the same way once they're over a certain age. It's like when you chat to them, they'd say like their friendship groups, if they're all attached, you know, so they're the kind of the only single lad in the group. Or a lot of them are kind of coupled up or they're not going out in the same way to sort of, you know, go out, click with people, have a night out, see if there's any talent out there. That seems to stop if their friendship groups move on to sort of serious relationships, kids, families, all of that. Uh, Whereas women are much more, I think, encouraging of one another. And they're much more, Oh God, I know, fella, he might be good for you. Like, girls do that for each other. They're like, oh, my brother's friend, he'd be great, you know. And I think that for some of the lads, they just don't venture into that territory. They don't say to their mates... Do you know what, Ryan? I'd love to... Do you know any... Is there anyone great who you work yeah. with? You know yes, what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if you find that if... if like. Well,
13: it, if it, it what, I, what I'm thinking is, is part of the problem for for the fellas is is the being on TV. I think that they're scared by that and what the lads will say. um. And there's an element of that. Absolutely. Uh, there's yeah. a confidence issue, actually, in some ways.
14: Yeah, and it is a really like brave step for people to come to us. But I suppose the thing about First Dates is that we make the show with love. We come from a place yeah. where... We only want the best for everyone who comes to us. We are thrilled when people match. We're sitting in the gallery going, please let my date go well. Because once they go into the restaurant, like we're out of the picture. Yes. It's them.
13: They're released into the wild. Yes. They are. Uh, and,
15: it's like sending it's, your babies
13: to yeah, school or something for go. the first time.
15: And, and I you- think that's what's great about the show, as Claire said, it is made with love because we do care. And we get into this, you know, it's like a tiger mom mode <laughs> where you're kind <laughs> of going, you know, Claire might say, Oh, you know, Dater XM, um, I have I have a girl for him, and I'm kind of going, Really? Well, no. I, oh, no no actually I need to look at her because then you go like is she good enough for my data X? ex I don't know about that it's so
13: like there's some sort of like Cupid's boardroom where you're <laughs> yeah. all sitting around going we will
15: one. Ryan. we, we do. fight like me fight, yeah. 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 fight a lot yeah. about uh, who day-tops. you should
3: match
13: yeah
15: I'll go dead silent Claire will be like actually do you know who might match and she, she'll just receive hmm oh Okay, well, I'll have a look at her. (laughs) And then you're watching them,
13: you know, having their date and you're kind of watching, you know, uh, Ireland versus England or you're watching a team. Yeah,
14: like in the gallery when we're watching, uh, like obviously. So I suppose the thing about the restaurants that a lot of people don't maybe realise until they get there is like there's no camera crew walking around the restaurant. Great. So once they're inside the restaurant and like they've met Mateo, they never would see Mateo, any of the staff, anything like that before they go in. Um, once they're in there, they don't see me, and we're like we're yeah. gone. So we're in the gallery. Uh, there's a lot of people in the gallery because it's a fixed rig, and it like it needs a
15: lot of it's people. It's like the NASA control there.
14: room, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> there's <you're- coughs>
15: screens everywhere. You can see every single part of the That's restaurant. That's
13: great. So so at the end, you can you can kind of take that to its logical conclusion. We have liftoff, <laughs> or <laughs> Houston, we have a problem.
0: So Ryan wanted to know about one of the first hurdles of the show. The door to the restaurant.
13: Let's talk about some of the things that I'm dying to. to one is um, the, the the door, the most stupid door in showbiz. Oh,
0: the uh, door! Is,
13: so just to explain to people they come along. So the, the, the
14: restaurant door, yes. Yeah, so there's a walk in to the restaurant. Yeah. So So we would. So people understand if they see it in the show. So we film their arrival, and that's them walking outside or in the lift. Yeah. And then that then there's a walk into the restaurant, yes. which is like a kind of a corridor, with a glass door. And when they're walking into us, we're all in the gallery going, "Will they? Won't they? Get the door." Push pull. <laughs> it's yeah, a push pull is- door. Matteo is inside, and obviously we can hear his mic, and he's yeah. saying, "Oh, will they get the door?" Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of
13: saying, "Oh, she's yeah. looking amazing." Will they? Won't he they? Will they, cool. will they? Won't yeah.
14: they? Yeah. And then the person is obviously nervous and talking yeah. to himself, saying, "Please don't get the door wrong. Yes, Please don't yeah. get the door wrong." And they always get the door wrong. <laughs> one time we put a sign <laughs> on. I was going to
13: ask, was there a sign on? Yeah.
14: It? One year we put a pull, pull or whatever. It's pull. So yeah. We put a pull sign. Still got it
13: wrong. Yeah, I know. So
14: the, the door is like character in it has first It has Yeah.
13: And then going through the door, once they got over that whole, oh, I can't believe I got that wrong, they meet Matteo, who's the mater d', and he is the sort of uh, this kind of gentle bam to say to them, it's okay, you look great, everything's going to be fine. Um, and it's interesting how the people, the the, de- the dates are, because sometimes they can be really cocky with him, taking them on, well, you might say confident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or sometimes they're just nervous wrecks. But it's the first port of call that we see them. And it's it's, it's a very important moment, the front of house meeting Absolutely. with the date, isn't it? Yeah. A- and everybody
15: loves Matteo. All the men want to be him. <laughs> and all and the, the women want pharmacy. to be with him.
13: <laughs> well, that is a problem sometimes with the waitresses and the waiters. <laughs> and Matteo, where where the heads are turning all over the place because probably a lot of hormones in the restaurant anyway. This
15: is it. I had a, I had a dater who basically said to me, he was like, Oh my God! What am I going to do? Like when I meet Matteo, like he's just so slick, he's just so cool. What if he doesn't like my suit? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 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 come down here! You're trying to impress your date, you know. Yes. Worry about impressing her. Matteo's fine. <laughs> That's good.
13: A lot of them sometimes like to have a little um, sharpener before they come in. I noticed that sometimes they can be maybe a few sheets to the wind, not a lot, but sometimes you can. You can well, yeah,
14: well, sometimes they can arrive to us and they've had a couple That's of cocktails, I mean. yeah, like a settler. Or sometimes they'll go in to Neil and it would neil barman and they'd be like oh, can i can have a shot and
13: uh, yeah I see that yeah, yeah.
14: <laughs> so i mean yeah that everyone's that's, an adult and that's what they want to do i suppose they're nervous it's a big that's, night out yeah and sometimes like or if or if, you, if you have a double date like we had a great double date last year yeah. um, i i don't know if you remember them um, uh, ash and Ross. um like they were like on a day out from the minute they arrived yeah, yeah. and they were so much fun and they were with so, there, so Ash was with her her pal, Naomi. So they were like straight away
13: they were having a party yeah, yeah, like yeah. from the before get-go.
14: anything happened there. So like it's kind of different for different people. But yeah, absolutely.
13: The uh, other things that uh, don't pass the test uh, or at least key tests in the dating is is the bill I mean the bill is another character oh uh, my, God. I, my nerves go when the bill comes yeah. out but that's also generational we have to talk about that too because look old guys like me will be going well, really I must insist and actually I see a lot of young guys doing it as well yeah. Um but that's Definitely shifting. So, what are we? What are we? What it's, are you noticing? Or it's what you? nearly
15: one of the first things, like when you ring somebody to have kind of the chat with them, and you say, we, "We do always mention, you know, the bill is very much a real part of the date. It's a real first date. We don't get involved. You their know, food. we're not comping their, their their meal. It's really up to the two of them. And a lot of the time, uh, some people will be straight in. With, well, 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 I'm definitely going halves. Or some people will be. My mother will absolutely bash me yeah. if I don't pay that bill. Or you have if he doesn't pay. The bill. I'm never going to see him again. Yes. So, like, like that. You're watching with Ernest going, "Oh my God! I know that if he doesn't pay the bill, she's not. She's going to say no. Then in the next bit, so you know what's going to happen. And you do get, you know, you get so invested because yeah. people are so worried as well about the bill. How am I going to come across on the telly if I don't pay the bill? Or how am I going to come across if I let him pay? And I know I'm going to say no afterwards. You know, there's so much going yes. on in people's heads. There, and there's
13: also the the the, the, the generational thing of well hang on that's a very patronising patriarchal uh, approach which we don't accept anymore said the maybe 25 year old and I'm not saying that as a no you're right that's, thing, yes, that's they'd the be truth they I, I was brought up a different way to yeah. you and therefore this gets split and, and no judgement does that make sense?
14: Absolutely yeah. and you're absolutely right it seems to be a generational thing mm. like the uh, older daters would probably be very traditional about that now there is always the entire Mrs Doyle section where Pete or Alice are there and they're like, put your purse away. No, I want to. No, yeah, I don't yeah, want will, to. You will, you will, you will. There's all of that that goes on. Yeah. But definitely, uh, the younger daters are m- much more cool about splitting the bill and it's not a thing. But f- like Carla said, for someone old, a bit older, I think it's definitely like an old school, no, I would like to pay for the meal and... Ninety-nine percent of the time, the man would very much like to pay for the meal. And
0: Ryan wondered about the dates that don't go so well.
13: What's it like when you're watching what you call the gallery? Again, it's a kind of an industry term, but you're you're in a you're in a box where no one can see yeah. you, and you're watching all the action on screens. At that they, and as you said, the cameras are almost hidden, so they don't even know they're being filmed. And it takes it takes all that out of it. Uh, when you're watching a car crash date, and you just know, and no one's given, uh, they're just not getting on. Do you do you just want to pull the cord on the whole thing, or do you just no,
14: like we we let it, pl- we have to let it play out like they have to have their date, I suppose. But it is like, I suppose we can't mitigate Ryan for the spark. You know what I mean? We can yeah. come up with these people match and they've got commonality about lots of things. And we do put a lot of time and effort into that, like where they're at in their lives, what their interests are, you know, what they want from the experience. But like, we really can't mitigate for that. So, and it's all, well, for me anyway, it's often the ones that you're like, this is
12: going to be amazing. They're going to love each other.
14: (laughs) It's just going to be like, we're going to the wedding next year and 10 minutes in, you're just like, oh my God, what is happening? So you just can't mitigate for that. Like on paper, those people would be, you know, and you can see, like Carla said, you can actually see a moment where it's,
13: it turns. Yeah. Is there, yeah. is, does it turn on anything? Is there a common, a common Sometimes point?
15: it's nothing. Sometimes you kind of go, you go, oh, you can just see a shift in the body language and you're going, what did he or what yes. did she just say? Somebody clicked a switch. That has, yeah. And it's, it's then, you know, shut down you can see kind of the light go out of the eyes and then all of a sudden it's into kind of business mode and you're going all right this is because often we will ask them as well how will we know if the date is going well and they'll say oh I'll touch my hair I'll be smiling or I'll be looking at her or and or somebody will say um I remember I had a dater saying um if it's not going well I'll probably talk about the weather and (laughs) after a couple of minutes he started talking about the weather and yeah. I was going, no,
12: it's our. Yeah. no. Yeah.
15: But he brought it back because at the end then he was like, no, I actually really would like to see her again. And I was like, but you were talking about the weather. Yeah, yeah, Yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was your tell. That yeah. was your tell. I was going, no. We do ask them for their tells. Yeah. So in that respect then, like that was the tell, the weather. So if we had to pull the date then, you know, it wouldn't have come back then and we wouldn't have gotten the match. So we had to leave a play out. And that's one thing we say to all the daters is just be yourself. This yeah. is a date, like, and as as we've said before there, you don't see any cameras in the restaurant. There isn't a cameraman sitting beside you with a camera in your face. It is a regular restaurant. I mean, I've been in the restaurant. I couldn't tell you where all the cameras are because you don't see them. So it's just a normal first date.
13: First date has given me um, a, a great uh, life lesson in uh, the sartorial stakes. I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but but uh, when the guys are walking from the Lewis or wherever they come in, or the taxi, oh, yeah. and they wear their a lot of them wearing quite tight trousers or, but even if they're not just jeans uh, one thing a few years ago I was watching it going oh god I hope I don't do that phone in the pocket right you can see that shape of the big and the phone's yeah. getting bigger and bigger car keys on the left maybe a wallet and these big lumps on their thighs as, which I all they're doing is lads but they've nowhere else to put them. they're not wearing handbags and they don't have a coat on or whatever and ever since I watched that and I, I got the full ick I, 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 I gave myself my own ick and I've never, ever put my phone in my pocket since. Never put wallet in my pocket. When you can't keys. get over
15: the ick once At you get no, it, no, it no. it's like and that I've that never hit. done it,
13: so thank yeah. you. Uh, for,
15: for yeah. <laughs> Glad to be of service. Most <laughs> <No,
13: laughs> unlikely uh, subplot to this whole thing. Uh, because you could just, anyway, that was just, just to buy them. I wanted to share that with you. But
14: you about kind of how people dress and everything today, it's like the differences are massive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we've had people turn up in tracksuits. <laughs> and you're like... Not okay, cool. not yes. cool, but fair enough. That's who you are. Well, that's and then other worried. people like come and they, you know, they've all on all out, three massive pieces. effort yeah. into their appearance. I've
13: seen people on first dates who are out, out.
14: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
13: And some who are in, in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You asked the question rather coyly, um, at, as well at the end. Would you like to see each other again? And you pause romantically, and um, we all know what that means. Um, so, uh, why, why do you ask it that way?
15: Irish people are so bad at being direct. So there was a a, kind of a a, a time where everybody was just being friend-zoned. So straight away, the answer (sighs) is, yes, yes, I would like to see him again, but just as a friend. So we kind of have to push them into, romantically. We don't take polite yeses.
13: I think I We're kind of mean about yeah. that. No, no, it's a good move.
15: As in,
14: it's, you know, it's not cool. We know. If we've watched the date, we're watching, and they're like, yes, I'd love
0: to. And you're like, no, you wouldn't. No. Come yeah. on. You wouldn't.
13: They're just being nice.
14: Yeah.
0: Claire Ridge and Carla Sambra from First States Ireland on The Ryan Tubberty Show. And on today with Claire Byrne, Cliff Taylor from the Irish Times was talking about the possibility of inflation falling faster than expected.
4: The head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, has said the bank will raise interest rates high enough to bring down inflation and keep them there for as long as necessary. Now, those remarks reinforced her earlier statements indicating that the ECB is not finished raising rates even after inflation fell by almost a full percentage point in May to 6 However, Cliff Taylor, writing in the Irish Times, says that considering recent drops in wholesale energy prices, inflation may fall faster than expected. And Cliff is on the line. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning, Claire. We'll get to the good news about inflation in just a minute. But Christine Lagarde, uh, her comments won't give much comfort to mortgage holders here who've been struggling for a while now with these re- interest rate rises. Now, there's a risk that the ECB will have been seen as going too far in Ireland. Are they conscious of that risk?
16: Yeah, I think I think they must be, Claire. Um, certainly, they'll be. I think starting to get it in the ear from politicians uh, across Europe. Um, Economic growth is, 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 is in the domestic economy is strong in Ireland, as we know, but that's not the case in a lot of big European countries. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be saying behind the scenes to the central bank, look, how far do you have to go? Our economies are while well, not quite on the floor. are, are slowing uh, threat, recession is threatened. Uh, and higher interest rates are only, are only going to make this worse. Uh, I, I do think we will probably see another increase from the ECB at its next meeting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether it's a quarter point or half a point. But after that, I think it's it's very much uh, up for debate what happens. Uh, I think hopefully we're coming to the top of the interest rate cycle. Uh, it is, I think, as Christine Lagarde indicated, going to be a while before they start to come down again. And, and you know, will there be further increases, small increases before the end of the year? Uh, perhaps there will be. But in a context where the rate of inflation across Europe is going to start falling quickly, I think that's going to make it more and more difficult for the ECB to justify further rises, even if there are signs that inflation remains sticky and a bit higher than it wants to in some areas. Mm -hmm.
4: So we may not see interest rates falling any time soon, but you do predict that we might see prices in other areas coming down and sooner than we might have thought.
16: Yeah, I guess predictions are always dangerous, but um, I think certainly if you look at the wholesale energy market, uh, and particularly the wholesale gas market, which feeds into electricity as well, there's really been big changes over the last couple of months and prices have fallen fallen rapidly. They're not quite back to where they were uh, before this all started, but but they're not too far above that now. Uh, so I, I do think we can hope to see energy prices for households falling through this summer, maybe heading into the autumn at the latest. Now, the falls are maybe going to be a bit less than people might have hoped for. Bills are going to still remain for a good while, well above where they would have been uh, before energy prices started to go up. But I do think we'd start to see, on current trends, prices come down over the summer, maybe heading into autumn, and more sustained increases, uh, let's hope, heading into next year if prices uh, do hold where they are. There still is a bit of uncertainty in the wholesale energy markets, the wholesale gas market in particular. It's different if you talk to people working in the market from, from what it was previously when, when there was a load of gas around, and the only question was, you know, how much people are going to pay for it. Now it's a question of people are watching LPG boats coming in from uh, all over the world, and are arguing about where those boats are going to land. They're talking about demand in Asia and all over the world. So it's all kinds of uncertainties you now that weren't there before. But the trends have been a lot better in the last few months.
4: Now, frustratingly for consumers, when it comes to your energy bill, we've had this explained to us before, that the providers are buying well in advance and they're hedging and so on. So we might not see that drop in energy prices in terms of what we're paying for our gas and electricity when it comes to our own bills. But when we're paying for goods and services, like grocery bills, for example, we might just see a drop in the near term.
16: I think so, yeah. I mean, as I said, I think we will see household gas electricity bills go down later this year because I think if wholesale prices hold where they are that's certainly going to happen and you're right energy is one of the key inputs particularly in areas like food and food production Uh, and and there are signs I think in the food market that we're going to see grocery prices top out and and start to hopefully fall over the coming months Uh, I mean that may seem strange we had go through figures last week showing the prices were 16% up year on year uh, but there is a definite trend now in uh, commodity markets, in energy markets that are all pointing, I think, in one direction in terms of food. And I think we should hopefully start to see that feed through over the summer and, and, and into the autumn.
0: Cliff Taylor, columnist for The Irish Times from Today with Claire Byrne. And one of the contestants on Britain's Got Talent this year was the very impressive me, the teenager, Killian O'Connor. He was talking to Catherine Thomas in the afternoon.
17: Now, some big news over the weekend for 14-year-old County Meath the magician and friend of the show, Killian O'Connor. He scooped third place in this year's Britain's Got Talent final. Wowing the judges, the audience, and all of us here at home. I don't think there was a dry eye in Ireland watching him. Killian and his mom Elaine, join me now on the line from the airport. But first, let's take a listen to his final performance on stage.
3: Since I arrived on BGT, I've made millions of friends. Because, you see, friends are like the stars. You don't always see them, but you know that they're always there. Simon, for the last time, what's the magic word?
16: Dog.
17: That was Killian there as he made co-host Ant MacPartland disappear live on stage to the amazement of the judges. It was such a special moment, Killian. Lovely to chat to you. How are you feeling? Has the excitement
3: worn off yet? Hello. Uh, no, the excitement. The excitement is still here as much as ever because it was just on Sunday. It was so
17: impressive watching you. I mean. We'd seen you and I know you were chatting to Ray earlier in the year and you at that stage knew you'd made it to the semi-final. But watching you do your thing at the semi-final and then making it all the way to the final and it was just electric. What was it like being up on stage in front of so many people? Because you were so confident.
3: Yeah, I was just... I was speechless going on because I had no idea that I would make it to the final, but seeing all those people there knowing that they had supported me throughout the journey so yeah I felt speechless And I mean
17: you've talked about how this show has given you such confidence because I think it's easy for us to forget like it's been a long journey for you and you're you're going over you're flying to the UK you're meeting new friends um, and there's a lot of rehearsal time that goes into a big show like that so talk to me in what way has it given you confidence do you think?
3: Um, Well, the magic would have helped us. It it helped me be able to talk to people uh, in public and socialise, but not just the magic, but also doing all the interviews have, has also helped mm. improve my confidence. Mm.
17: I mean, so many kids um, who have autism who were watching you, You've, you have inspired so many people, not just in Ireland, but right across the UK because, and that's what you said that you wanted to achieve and you did it.
3: Yes, I did. Uh, I feel that I've been a big inspiration too of kids with autism and I've showed them that, don't give up on their dreams mm-hmm. they can create their own story only they can create their own story and they should go the distance
17: absolutely and you are winging your way back to Ireland you are heading back to me the lane your mom is with you there now what's the reaction been like yeah. at home and uh, i'm sure your phone is hopping or your your mom's phone is hopping oh. with messages from family and friends and the school and all sorts <laughs>
3: Yeah, all of them are popping. Mine, my mums, my dad's. And there's just been a huge amount of support from everyone in my family, but also people all over Ireland.
17: I mean, to impress Simon Cowell is something else. He can be very tough, we know that. Uh, But you seem to have him right in the palm of your hands from the get-go.
3: Yeah, it is a real challenge to impress Simon Cowell as you know he would be the biggest name in Britain's got talent mm. and you know he created the show he's been there since day one mm. before any of the acts or the mids on the on the sunday uh, me and him we actually shook hands and he wished me
0: the best of luck Yeah, brilliant killian o'connor talking to Catherine thomas in the afternoon And on today with Claire Byrne, are you washing your face properly? Well, here's what the people of Galway were saying about their ablutions.
15: Um, I take off my makeup at the end of the day, that's about it.
0: Do
1: you use a lot of products or what?
15: No, not really, just moisturiser.
6: What Quite. about you? Just have a shower. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I wash my face in the shower, but no special products, no. Uh-huh. Sometimes I find like that they make my skin worse, but maybe that's just me.
8: Oh basically just cleanse and moisturise, just go to bed and... Factor 50 this time of the year, under the under the makeup and things like that. You yet, spend a lot so. of time on your skin. Not an awful lot of time. I'd say about 15 minutes at night and um, about the same in the morning and uh-huh. things.
1: Yeah. And what about Irish men? Do you think they've given as much time and attention to their skin?
8: Maybe some men, but uh, I don't know now. My husband wouldn't spend as long on his skin now, but i um, kind of in the shower all the morning, <laughs> Wash the face maybe like
1: her. I uh, just wash my face with <laughs> <A> water. <laughs> Any particular products? No, none really at all. And what about you?
4: Oh my god, I don't I don't have anything really.
1: Do you not pay more attention to your skin than his? Oh god, no. Not <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Do you spend a lot of time on your skin?
9: Um, try to probably more now than I would have when I was younger. Um, but we both try to be good and look after our skin, moisturize, cleanse daily. So Is it a
1: long regime, twice a day No, or?
9: twice a day and I, I I think if it's long, you can't keep
4: to it. What you need to know about the the, the skincare? Yeah. Soap and water. That's what you use. That's it. End of.
1: You're looking very well on us. Thank you
4: very much. I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: and what about yourself? Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. You look good too. <laughs> no, thank you. No products. No, no, no skincare no, regime. No, no, nothing at all. No. Good old-fashioned soap keep and water.
9: It simple. Keep it
4: simple. Soap and water, Rosemary Coleman. What do you make of that?
9: Well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think some people. You see, Claire. I think I probably get um, a sort of slightly biased view because the people who come to me are going to be people with problems. So lots of people. I, I think there was a lovely, healthy, balanced approach there on your Vox Pop. Lots of people doing little or nothing because they don't need to, as they say. They washed their face and put on sunblock. That sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's all you really need to do. Most people will not tolerate soap and water because the soap will be too alkaline for their skin. But I'd say the people who do tolerate soap and water don't end up needing a dermatologist.
4: Okay, so you're not well. You're not mad about the soap and water solution. But less people think that you're in for a very fussy skincare regime when it comes to cleansing. You're really not, are you?
9: No, I think um, the big problem I'm seeing is an awful lot of over-cleansing. I don't know the age of the people in the Vox Pop, but I didn't hear, I I heard one or two who sounded quite young. I'm seeing an awful lot of the 20-year-olds, particularly the 20-year-old girls who are really, you know, into social media. They have become very elaborate in their skincare routines. They overwash their skin. They believe they need to wash it twice a day and double-cleanse, and that's what's bringing them into my my surgery. I pair the whole thing right back simplify it enormously and particularly at that age Claire where their skin is really well able to do its job if they leave it alone. Now I think it's different I was thinking about this if you think about caveman okay right they weren't washing their face with detergent so do we really need to well I think we're living in a far more polluted environment.
0: Dr. Rosemary Coleman from Today with Claire Byrne. And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself till next time.